One thing about growing up with the type of family that we did that's so focused on artistic expression is that you completely disregard money. And there's a beauty to that. And there's also some difficulty with it. But something that we'll never do is just do something for the money. If it looks like a money grab, I promise you it isn't because collaborations don't make us the majority of our money. It's about social interaction for us. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. Over the course of my career, the very definition of design and what makes a designer has gone through so many changes, one of which is the emergence of so-called collectible design and the rise of new American talents that infused youth culture, color, and traditional craft to create wildly imaginative works. And these new upstarts often came from outside New York, especially LA, once considered a wasteland for good design, not to mention good taste. One such upstart wasn't a single name, but a duo, Nikolai and Simon Haas, more affectionately known to many simply as the Haas brothers. At first, I knew them as the younger brothers of actor Lucas Haas, whose films as a child actor in the 1980s are seared into my Gen X memory. Solar babies, anyone? While the duo fell into design by accident, quite literally, more on that later, they became known for their ceramics, which had a slightly organic and fantastical element to it. Imagine a sea creature yanked from an alien ocean. I think actress Laura Dern said it best in an article in Interview Magazine about their quote-unquote manifestly erotic work. The twins seemed to be playing in a plastic world of pure imagination, unfettered by too much superego or interpretation. Unlike Magritte's pipe, say, that so studiously was not a pipe, the Haas's biomorphic chairs and couches, often upholstered in furs that give them the appearance of odd taxidermy, are indeed heavily laden with sexual potency. But they are also whimsical delights that look like they might be extras in a stage production of Where the Wild Things Are. End quote. From there, things only got, as Alice in Wonderland might say, curiouser and curiouser. As time went on, their works got bigger and bigger and also drifted more into the sculptural realm. The boys had a major solo show at the Bass Museum in Miami in 2018, cementing their shared It Boy status in the design world. And today, they're planning on numerous museum shows for the years ahead, represented by Marianne Bosky Gallery. I caught up with Simon and Nikolai from their studios in Los Angeles to talk about how their practice has survived everything from fatherhood to rehab, how Toby Maguire is partially responsible for their careers in the first place, and why they've decided to stay in LA and build a brand new 16,000 square foot studio. I guess I kind of want to start from the beginning. I mean, I uh, I have interviewed you guys before. I've met you before. I've, I've seen your work since, I think, almost the beginning. Um, but I've never really had the chance to kind of talk to you about um, your upbringing. And, you know, your dad was a sculptor. And I believe your mom was a singer. She was an opera yeah. singer. Yeah. Um, yeah, we grew up in a really creative household. I mean, um, yeah, our mom uh, was an opera singer. She was a Texan. And she moved to Berlin for opera and oh, she wow. was singing in the Berlin opera and our dad was a, um, a painting student uh, at the university in Berlin and our dad's nude model for one of his classes became a friend of his and was like, oh, you would love this woman, Emily. She, the nude model also happened to be a, an opera singer um, 
And so they, yeah, they met in Berlin through this mutual friend. So already it was kind of like a wild story the way that they met. And so we, our family started in Los Angeles. Our older brother's almost nine years older than us. Um, and he's an actor. And our our dad's father is a, a sculptor, was a sculptor. Yeah. Wow. So it was very like in, very steeped in that. And, um, and our household as kids was, our dad was carving stone and um and lucas was acting and our mom was singing and she was a screenwriter was her actual main career so it was like oh, wow. just art only yeah <laughs> yeah really it really it really was like very very focused on being creative there was so much room for that and i think the older we get we realize how lucky we are that we had that upbringing because um it became such a fluent language for us i think um um, you know, there's like a piano in the, out, in the house. We all played music. There were instruments everywhere. There was any type of like art supply you could possibly want, like, um, you know, books. And our mom was writing scripts. You know, she was writing for like Seinfeld and the Cosby show. And Oh, so she did TV. I thought she was more film. Yeah, and did like TV movies and stuff like that. Um, and our dad had this, you know, construction business. Um, was doing like stone countertops, but also like carved fireplaces and sconces. And we worked for him from a very young age. He actually had a furniture company too, outdoor furniture for oh, a while. Wow. Okay. So we were doing construction from the time we were, I mean, like legitimately doing construction, like showing up for work over summers when we were like 11 or 12 years old, you know? Cause like if you're there with your dad, like sanding stuff, just doing simple things. But um, really it's, it's super in our blood and not just the creative aspect of it. Like, the blue collar work aspect of it too. It was always joined with it. It wasn't ever really separated. It was kind of like, oh, you want to make this? This is how you do it yourself. You don't like ask someone else to help. Like you got it basically, which was cool. It was a really fun way to grow up, you know? And I, I read somewhere that you guys kind of considered, you know, your home life that your parents kind of created this sort of like idyllic, almost sheltered in a good way mm -hmm. uh, sort of environment for you guys. Yeah. And, you know, do you think that that upbringing really kind of impacted actually the work that you're making today? In a well, sense? Um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, sheltered in some ways and, uh, and not in others, you know what I mean? And like a really nice, yeah, it was really nice. I, I wouldn't trade our upbringing for anything. I, I, I loved it. It was pretty awesome. And it definitely shaped the way, you know, we, we make our work. Like um, I think that the level of fantasy that we dive into um, is a bit escapist in a way. I feel really safe inside of our fantasy. I think that's really what, that's like our main drive and motivation. And I don't mean like we're in any danger at any moment. That's not what I'm saying. I just mean we have um, the support and structure inside of our fantasies to explore and express anything that we want to explore and express. Uh, also growing up in Austin, I'd say if there's any, like, if you can see any kind of direct influence from childhood, it's, it's more having grown up in Austin and kind of absorbing the like, um, stoner aesthetic from there. Mm. Uh, there was a festival called Eeyore's birthday. That was like the weird, I don't even know what it was. It was kind of a deadhead convention or something on a Creek. And then there's like the original whole foods was there and it had all these big fruits and uh, like big sculpture fruits and vegetables and chickens on top. And there, there was a big like um, 
glowing red eye. Does it have red eyes? The manja yeah, dinosaur. Yeah, it had glowing red eyes. Yeah. yeah. The manja yeah. manja pizza had this big like dinosaur on top of it. So it was very like um uh there were a lot of sculptures actually all over the place but just for businesses and um uh, and a whole lot of like head shops and it was a very loose uh place to to live and uh just like full of bizarre artwork so that yeah. that definitely fully funneled into our work um and then like a daniel johnston mural that was there that says hi how are you um did you guys did were your parents kind of what about the home was there your parents conservative or did, was there taste oh, like n- oh my they God, were not no, conservative not even, <laughs> a little bit i guess yeah. in taste i don't mean i don't mean like uh, uh, politically, no not, but... not in that way either i mean like our mom it was sort of like you know ariel from you know <laughs> like under the sea <laughs> like it was like her her cave basically it was like shells glued everywhere and like you know simon and i again we learned construction so young it was like the whole family once a year would repaint every single room in the house. We would rearrange our mom's like crazy, amazing collections. Like I remember she was collecting butterfly wing trays from like the 1920s and there'd be entire walls of the house that are just like butterfly wing trays, which at the time it's funny because they were pretty, nobody cared or wanted them. We would just, she would take us to antique fairs and collect all kinds of weird shit. And now they're like hard to find. But, um, yeah, I remember being at like a Damien Hirst show at White Cube and seeing these like huge butterfly wing things. I was like, this just feels like our wall as kids. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is in Austin is it's not like um, a city that's as um, known for its, I don't know, like design isn't its export and art isn't really its export. It hasn't been. It was always like music or sort of startups, you know, Whole Foods or, Air, you know, not Airbnb, but like VRBO and like tech kind of stuff. IBM was had a big center there and um, Dell and all that stuff. So so art, I think it was sort of innocent and beautiful because art design expression in that realm, aesthetics, was always really innocent. It was a sort of practice as a way to engage with people culturally. The sign on the head shop to get people to come in and like be a part of a community. Our mom basically creating like a Damien Hurst painting on the wall, but just because she wanted to have people over and like, you know, be social and have dinners and, you know, keep people around. It was very like, there wasn't really like a need to impress or a try to like, to flex. It was just intrinsic to the culture and the way people wanted to be and they used art in a way that felt really innocent and beautiful and sweet and um uh you know we felt really i don't know it was just like a really nice way to grow up and our parents fell straight into it they were like hippies in in purple austin and a red state you know Mm, and it was um it was cool and simon uh i guess i'm wondering you know some i have some friends and family friends that have had twins and they kind of raise kids when they raise the kids, they kind of have to try to remember that like, this is the day you have to take one out to go to the movies and some, and then the other one does something else and plays sports or what to kind of separate them. Did they, did your parents like try to, were they like conscious of this or did you kind of fully, you know, how are you guys as twins? I, I don't know if they were conscious of that necessarily, but Nikki and I definitely chose our own things that we would do. So like, um, I mean, I was working at a, 
restaurant and Nikki was on a hockey team very early on. Like, I don't, when did I start cooking? When I was like 15? No, younger. I mean, you were working at that cooking school when you were 12 or 13 years old and then later. Oh, yeah. What did did you cook? All kinds of stuff, mostly French. And I, I worked at this place called Jeffrey's. It's like one of the nicer restaurants there. Um, at the time, it was George Bush's favorite restaurant. <laughs> no, it was okay. Simon uh, was cooking for George Bush, and I was his busboy. You know, I like did. when he was I ca- governor. I, ca- I catered way, for the Bush family. The nicest guy. Like, <laughs> really? so sweet. Yeah, like, so funny and so fun and made a real point of being, like, talking to the busboy. You know wow. what I'm saying? Like, he was, like, um, I mean, by the way, anyone you talk to that's spent time with him, We'll say that. Like, he was he was great. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> let's not defend George Bush. <laughs> I'm not defending. I'm just saying, as a person in a, in a dining room, like, he was yeah. great. He was fun he was, to yeah, see. Yeah, he was. Wait, senior yeah. or junior? Uh, junior. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, you can fault him for many things, but I think being, <laughs> yeah. fo- being a honky-dory and folksy he, is kind of... Uh-huh. You, you, everyone can, everyone can, can say that that, that movie. Yeah. But Nikki and I just naturally like did different things. I was in ballet. He was in hockey. He was playing the saxophone. I was uh, learning harp. Uh, <laughs> I was like the gayest kid in the world, and Nikki was not... <laughs> No. And uh, <laughs> yeah, from French cooking to harp harpists. Uh, yeah. har- how do you call it? Har- harpy? I don't know. Harp, harp. Yeah, Harping? I don't know. I don't know. But that's yeah, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> then the older we get, like Simon's, like drives a jeep and he's like you know all buff and lifting weights, and I've gotten gayer by the minute. <laughs> the older uh, I get. You know. <laughs> so, yeah. And and at one point, uh, Simon, you decided to go to RISD. Is that true? Yeah. And so, how did that? How did you decide? What about RISD uh, appealed to you? Uh, I had an amazing art teacher. Um, what? What was her name? Miss Graham. Miss <laughs> Graham, who? Uh, I mean, I was always I wanted to be a painter, but she really encouraged and helped me get into RISD. Um, and then I, uh, I got in. It was the only school I got into. Uh, I got rejected from everywhere else. Wow. And uh, so it was my only choice, but it was the best choice. And uh, I deferred for a year, moved to L.A., and I don't know what I did in L.A., but then I went to school uh, after that. And what was your major at RISD? I started in architecture, and then I dropped out, and then I went back for painting, and then I dropped out again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And, and, And Nikki, like, did you... I heard you were in a band. Yeah, I, um, you know, I went to New York. Um, I was modeling as, you know, when I was like 18 for like six months. I just did that to move there. And then, um, you know, uh, this guy, Vincent Gallo, was friends with our older brother. And so I started playing music for him. Eventually, Simon also did. We went on tour. We moved to L.A. Um, And then, uh, you know, Simon dropped out of RISD. And um, Simon was working at Elf, which is like a, you know, a vegetarian restaurant in Echo Park. And at the time it was a scene, you know, it was like everyone there was doing shit. It was just cool. It was like one of those moments where you look back and go, oh, there's like, you know, 15 creatives that have all gone on to become stuff from that scene, which is cool. Um, and Simon was working this restaurant. I was working for uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and um, who's a friend of our old brothers also and and then he and and Toby Maguire and then Lucas, our brother, and this other guy who's a good friend of, of theirs too, um, all really gave, like, gave us encouragement to sort of move off and sort of start doing our own thing. And um, Toby gave us our first big job 
um, because we'd always been doing construction, right? I made the decision to sort of move off on my own. I wanted to have Simon do it with me. And so um, I asked him to, to, to like do this big job with me. And then uh, just by some stroke of luck, it ended up getting featured in wallpaper. I don't even really remember how or why. Because, because it was a Johnson Markley project, right. uh, obviously because of them, they're they're like phenomenally talented. So yeah. it ended up in a in a and we got to design some furniture because it was sort of like our friend had asked us to do it, um, and you know like we were broke, but we used the budget to like rent a studio. Simon moved in to he was living in the back. It was pretty like rough for a second, but when you're you know 23, it's fun. I, it was cool, yeah. Before we return to the Haas Brothers, a word from our sponsor, Ann Sachs. In the world of inspired interiors, there are a few brands that have become synonymous with timeless American style. As an interiors editor for nearly 20 years, one name comes up again and again, Ann Sachs. Ann Sachs' latest achievement is the introduction of stone slabs. The product designers at Ann Sachs have traveled the world to source a curated assortment of the world's most premium stones, each with their own unique and dramatic veining and movement to create that organic, elegant feel in interiors. The company has just opened its newest slab gallery in New York's Long Island City, after its first two in Dallas and Nashville. The inspirational new flagship location in Long Island City is a combination showroom and slab gallery, showcasing the full assortment of tile and slab collections, as well as in-stock vanities, lighting, and plumbing fixtures. For more information about any Anzac's tile or stone, or to find a showroom near you, visit www.ansax.com. I heard I heard that you guys were transporting a Joe Ponte bed that fell off the top of your car on a highway. Yeah, that's a and good that story. Toby McGuire had something to do with it. So I was well, like, how did how did mm-hmm. something fall off the? <laughs> what happened to the to the Joe Ponte head? Toby's part in that was that he was building a uh, he was building a studio and we uh, we were sort of ad- advising kind of or he just sort of as a favor let us advise I guess and then and um, uh, we developed a relationship with Johnston Markley um, because well we ended up building the studio we were the builders right you know so yeah uh, and then we designed some furniture for the space and um, uh, since we had been working with with Johnston Markley. Uh, and they saw that we were pretty handy. They had the Joe Ponte bed and they were like, can you repair this for us? So it was a really simple, I don't remember what it was. It was like a slat. No, there was a, a, a thread, a threaded uh, bolt that was custom made where, whatever in Italy, but in the sixties. And so it needed to be rethreaded and then reset and then put back into the frame. And it was like a mix of like some kind of strange fur, half laminate, half solid situation. So we needed to like reset it, put it back in. So we did all that. It took like, I don't know what, a couple hours and they'd given us this huge amount of work. And so we're on the freeway. And again, I'm just reiterating, we were fucking broke. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, I had this old shitty forerunner that wasn't the right size to be carrying a Geoponte pet. We, we thought, didn't have tie straps or anything. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, we did. <laughs> we tried to tie it down properly, but we we're like on the 110 getting onto the 10 freeway, which is a crazy intersection. And just like the headboard starts going like this, and like, <laughs> like wiggling in the wind. And we're like, oh shit. So I start to slow down. It just goes like, whoosh, like a sail and flips into the air and like lands and skids, you know? And we're like, okay, it landed on the back. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden it's like, and this big 16 wheeler 
just drives right over us like into a billion pieces and we were like trying we to were, pick them we all up the side of the road, like, like we could no, do something about it no yeah. and and getting yeah. all the pieces and like so we and, oh my god we call, out. we call sharon and mark and it's like um they're first of all like amazing they're so talented and also so cool and sharon um was you know we go into their office she comes in and she rips us a new one and rightfully so like we we screwed up royally and um and then mark comes in and he's all like hey guys like super easy going about the whole thing and he's basically like i know you guys destroyed this priceless bed that can never be replaced and it's not just bad for us it's bad for the world right but um but he's like you know where i come from um because he's chinese he's like the the word for disaster depending on the inflection also means opportunity so he's like why don't you guys build us two pieces of furniture and um it was in like a frank lloyd wright pseudo designed house that they'd redesigned it was super interesting space and so we made two those were like our first like art furniture pieces that we made for for sharon and mark and that's still in that same house now so so this huge disaster for us with a with you know, really, these archi- these phenomenally talented architects that had kind of hired us, you know, with a lot of responsibility, and you know, like honestly, we didn't deserve the 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 credit to be able to to, to take this type of job. Um, gave us our, our kind of like first big push, which is really cool. So it ended up being fine, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> what were the pieces like, Simon? Oh, that we made. We we made these. Uh, they were. Uh, teardrop shaped there was a desk that was a teardrop and then there was a a low coffee table that was a teardrop but uh, extruded and twisted a little they're actually really pretty they don't look like our work Um, but they were coated with this black resin that we then used a grinder on to sort of create an, an almost a wood texture but not really so they were cool because they sort of pointed to us using materials in a way and trying to to um, make something where you can't quite tell what it is. Uh, and then we also like there was an indoor fountain and we um, we found a rock at the L.A. River and cast it o- over and over and over and filled the fountain with like identical rocks that I think was pretty cool. Um, uh, but yeah, you would not necessarily know that it was ours if you saw it. And, and when it comes time to you know go from you know you know nikki and simon to the haas brothers and being known as such with uh i believe there some of the earlier uh collections were ceramics that's am i is that was like the first was that the first official kind of it it was yeah that and uh and then this sort of hextile process these brass um like a brass inlay process i think were some of our first ones and what were, what were those conversations like where, where how were how did you decide upon you know those early sort of anthropomorphic slightly anthropomorphic uh ceramics and how did that because ceramics is its own obviously its own discipline where you need to go to a go to a kiln and you need you know it's it's its own thing how did that start I'm going to answer for Simon because he's going to be modest about it. But the thing is, Simon entered into a pro like ceramics is really complicated. It's really hard to get into it. There's a huge learning curve. Simon entered into it and he created this process called accretion, which is like layering, you know, like uh, uh, with a brush liquid clay called slip over itself over and over and over again until you get this. That That's what accretion is. It's just like sediment laying on top of itself till you get this texture. And, you know, it's like one of the few 
um, processes in, in ceramics, it's considered new. Like he just within a week of, of futzing with it was like, oh, here's this like new thing that's never been introduced to ceramics, which is pretty rad. I mean, like it was um, it, it was kind of like, I think, just a, like a preview of Simon's material ingenuity, which is just to think of it in a completely different way. And I think the way his mind sort of absorbs material is more like a physicist and less like a practical applicator. Right. Like, so I was a little bit more engaged in construction than Simon was. So for me, it was all very practical and sort of like, this is the way it's always been made. And Simon has always been like, you know, well, who cares if it's always been made that way? I'm going to just like, I have an idea and I'm going to figure it out. And no one can really tell me not to do it. And so he may be, he may spend a year and a half before he ends up with a product that's, that's like even usable, (laughs) you know, but then you get something where no one has ever done it before because they're not tenacious enough or dumb enough or whatever you want to call it to spend that much time, you know, and luckily inside of our market and the type of work that we make, we're allowed that space to discover whatever we want to discover and spend the type of time we need to get there. And so Simon is like one of the most tenacious material development people I've ever met in my life. You know, so oh, that's, that's how it's true, but that's how we got <laughs> and, the first ceramic really was. Yeah. And I mean, at the time I was, because I, we had zero money and I was still working at, at, at Elf, that restaurant while we, when we had first started and I would come home to the studio and I was like sleeping in the wood shop. Uh, and since I was there late at night, I just had materials around. So I would test stuff out because I didn't have a TV or anything. Uh, and so I would just like do materials tests. Uh, and so that's where accretion came out of that. I was like, I, I think I was drunk at three in the morning, just like brushing as you do <laughs> that was my life isn't everyone up at three drunk brushing clay yeah, like brushing, that's clay. Like brushing clay yeah. well I think right. we found the, the right. other gayest thing that <laughs> before we return to the Haas Brothers a word from our sponsor Janice AC in the world of design an appreciation of the outdoors is more important in our lives than ever before enter Janice AC As a leader in outdoor furniture for 45 years, the brand combines unparalleled levels of craft and engineering to create works by the world's best designers and architects, from Philippe Stark and Pierre Lissoni to Patrizia Urquiola. But beyond the incredible products and designs, Janice AC provides a level of service and expertise that's always best in class. If today's guests, the Haas brothers, are known for anything, it's their playful eye that they bring to art and design. There's also a bit of the human hand in their work that creates warmth and wonder in everything they do. Another such master of creativity is Paolo Navone, an Italian design master known for her products and spaces that combine color and wit. Her chopsticks collection for Janice AC is a dining collection that has soft lines and chunky, hand-woven olefin rope for its armchair and side chair that look, well, comfy as much as it is tactile and contemporary. There's also a dining table with a terrazzo sewn top in either an oval or asymmetrical shape for modular use with playfully arranged legs. So if you're looking to strike that balance between casual and high touch, not to mention high style, the Chopsticks collection is probably for you. Just make sure my invite for Negroni's and Caprese salad does not get lost in the mail, all right? Make an appointment with your local Janus AC showroom or visit JanusAC.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-E-T. C-I-E.com.
And fast forwarding to today, like what is what is your studio uh, set up like? You know, what what is how is, you know, if you just, uh, you know, meet someone right off the street and they're like, you know, how do you work and what is your studio like today? How do you describe it? Yeah, well, we have the ability to, you know, work in whatever material we're excited to work in. I mean, that's really the way we like to keep it set up. I mean, currently we're building like our dream studio. We're about six months out from moving in. So we're in a temporary spot that's like not as developed, right? So we have like the materials we need at this moment. But when we're set up properly, which we will be again in six months or so, we have, you know, the ability to do ceramics or wax work or welding or stone or wood or fur or, you know, whatever the list goes on and on, mold making, blah, 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 tons of stuff, painting, sketching. So it's like we really, our practice isn't focused on one material. It's focused on the broad idea of like being able to come up with something from your mind and practically apply it in our studio with no sort of in you know in, in, no inhibiting our expression between um, between conceptual inception and 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 application. So like um, we outsource, of course, some things you know like bronze casting, for instance, but because uh, you need a major facility to be able to do the type of bronze casting we need to do, but. Um, but we'll build the wax entirely like in studio without a mold, for instance. So there's never a mold for a lot of our pieces and they'll be built completely by hand. And, you know, we'll get the bronze back after it's been cast. So really like, like the moment that it goes out of our hands is, is it's just a very technical, technical aspect of it. So our studio is really built so that we can express from start to finish inside of our studio. So it's really diverse. Our new studio is like 16,000 square feet. It's pretty big. There's a lot of room for exhibition because um, we're we're very we're like a very we like to have a home right when we're making work so we like to show people what we're up to we like to have space community space we like to bring people into our world and so the bigger you know we like having our work mm-hmm. all around us which we haven't been able to do in yeah. our temporary space but it's nice to see all of it and. Uh, kind of get inspired by our own sculptures from from like years and years ago. And where's the new space? Or will the new space be? North Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and what is it like working? You know, because I think there was a phase where so many new designers were coming from L.A. It's kind of the post-recession sort of boom out in L.A. You know, now here we are sort of at a post-pandemic moment. You know, uh, why stay in L.A.? Uh, that's a great question. Um, because Nikki has a family here, and because we bought a studio. Uh, otherwise, I I'm I actually kind of want to move back to Texas. Um, but yeah, I I think it would be we're really we're really established here, and I and we do love it, and it's we're really inspired by it. I mean, there's it's kind of a fantasy place. It's uh. The film industry lends itself to like uh, creating all sorts of weird materials, or just there's a there's like a resin place down the street that has um, casts of of, uh, of Arnold Schwarzenegger's face and and, yeah, yeah. and Arnold Schwarzenegger and I mean there's just like all sorts of weird set and prop places that um, that are good for manufacturing what we make, uh, and it's just wide open and i think now that we're in north hollywood uh which is 
feels sort of more hometowny than the rest of LA. Uh, it's it it's like a really nice feeling to be working here. I mean, we're right down the street from Circus Liquor, which I don't know if you remember from Clueless. There's a scene where Alicia Silverstone gets like stranded. Someone robs her and she's like and she's got this there's this huge neon sign behind her of like a clown so that's right down the street that's circus liquor and so that's our claim to fame and if you just take that right that it's just a liquor store but in LA they're going to make some huge crazy sign it's going to feel almost like a Las Vegas situation it ends up in a movie like the 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 sort of like value of being in a place like this is that LA I mean really California is is so good at inventing industry and taking imagination and making it real and making it like something you can touch and feel and be a part of. And the way that we work so organically fits that belief in manifesting fantasy that, that I think it just, it just fits our studio practice and it's absolutely a part of the DNA of the way that we work. Um, I think there's some like now as luckily we like own property and stuff now, but, but LA has a lot of problems, right? Like it's a bummer that, I mean, I don't know, like one of the reasons we're talking about opening like a, like a sub studio in Austin is that, um, you know, like we pay our employees really well and like they can't afford, they can't afford to buy houses because a starter home is like $1.2 million. You know what I mean? So you sort of go like, how many people do you have working for you at the moment? There's the two of us and then four others, yeah. And so it's like, that's fucked up, you know what I mean? And it's just kind of like, okay, like we can just sort of lean into this city life thing, but but like we want our employees to have, they deserve to have like good lives and, and like quality of life. And, and we need to, I think practically you need to be in LA, you need to be in the city so you can engage and be a part of like what's going on and, and the art and everything that's happening here, like freeze gaining momentum, you know, David Zwerner opening, Hauser and Worth having been here for a long time, you know, like like the the client base, the 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 way people look at LA now compared to how they used to, it's like it's pretty it's a pretty big deal. But along with that comes this like wave of collectors and people that can afford to do that, but they also sort of destroy your city. So like is it as exciting as it was ten years ago? Absolutely not. No, it's not. But it's like it's, you know, Whatever. I we lived in Williamsburg in 2003, and it's like we all know what happened, right? It's not. It's not exciting. It is like you know a baby stroller, dad with tattoos. I mean, I'm one to talk, right? <laughs> but it's you. like I'm just saying. It's like I'm. I've turned into that too. I get it. But like I worked hard to make sure like I have a life here. But it's like I, you know, it's weird to watch it happen. But it's also, I mean, it's good. It's it's a city. It's growing. It's becoming what it is. And like. Um, and you still can't take away the fantasy. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's still one of those places where there's, you know, uh, so many people with amazing creative jobs. I have this, um, I have this like book club. It's like dad books. It's like dads that <laughs> want to read books. And it's one of my favorite nights of the month when I get to do it. And everybody in the room is a creative. It's like music producers, you know, other artists, writers, you know, people in fashion companies, pro skaters, like that type of person where where I don't know where else in the world I could live and have that same mix of people where we have this sort of baseline of understanding who we are and what it is that we do with our lives. And, and we all moved here for a reason, which is like we believe that we could do more and we could touch the world in a bigger way than just sort of like having like a, like a you know, whatever quote unquote regular job. Um, 
in our hometown where we came from. So I think despite its progression into something that might be sort of sad and unattractive in some ways, um, uh, it still holds that original inspiration and beauty for me um, where, where you just go like everyone here moved here for something better. Most of us are transplant transplants. We all believed in ourselves that we could achieve bigger, better things. And that gets, that vision gets lost, I think a lot of time. And, and a lot of people come here and fall flat on their face and get taken advantage of and all that. But, but, um, but at the core of it, you can't break that, that beautiful, innocent belief that everybody brought with them the first time that they came here. And, and that's like, you know, I think that's really what, what gets me about LA is that you can build anything you want. And I, and I watch my son and his interaction with like the kids that he goes to school with and he's allowed to be whoever he wants to be. And I don't just mean coming from me. I mean like the system around him, the school, everything. And it's like, I know that Simon and I weren't, I mean, a friend of ours, it was funny, like sent us a photo just yesterday of, of, uh, his, his, um, his fiance, uh, went to, went to kindergarten with Simon and I, and it was just funny looking at the photo. I, I don't really want to like, I don't know how to talk about it to not say I'm like looking down at, at, at people, but it, there's a uh, very specific way we were supposed to be. And it was very, uh, well, I mean, Texas and, is conservative right. and, and back like pre-internet, it was right. uh, kind of a monoculture. Mm-hmm. So I, that's not surprising. Right. I mean, that, that was in 1988, I think that right. photo, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and so. you know, like, so my son Fox, his monoculture, that word would never enter the picture. He can be anything he wants. And and so there's something about that that's really, really beautiful, you know? So I think like LA has created space for something like that. And when you're like, why are you still in LA? And Simon's like, because Nikki has a family. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want him to not have that. You know what I'm no, saying? No, it's, and it's great. Really important. And, so Yeah. And yeah. my husband-to-be is a, a TV writer. And so he has to be here also. It's I'm, I'm being facetious when I say there's no reason to be here. I, I love it. But I, um, I think, like, you know, the older I get, the more I want to be a little more in a quieter place. So I do have fantasies of going back to Texas. Before we return to the Haas Brothers, a word from our sponsor, Fort Street Studio. For more than 25 years, Fort Street Studio has been creating enduring carpet designs and heirloom qualities that are hand-woven and hand-knotted in beautiful fiber combinations that are luxurious, net natural, and renewable. As pioneers of the painterly, non-repeating aesthetic and modern rug design originating from watercolor art, the creative team at Fort Street Studio continues to honor the artists and artisans of the past, while innovating for the future. One of Fort Street Studios' luxurious offerings is the brand's special edition collection of rugs and tapestries. It's a rare and exclusive production that involves hand-spun metallic filament yarn that is flat-woven within a surrounding field of cut-pile wild silk. The metallic motifs add an unexpected hint of glitter and texture that is subtly seductive. The technique is combined with fine, high-knot-count wild silk in the studio's signature aquarelle-style hues. These artistic designs are then produced by a team of highly skilled weavers who are able to weave seven to nine inches per week. And just like all offerings from Fort Street Studio, the special edition collection can be customized to your needs in color, size, and shape. To create your own heavenly soft wild silk rug, visit fortstreetstudio.com. And when you guys, at a certain point, some of your work started to go from abstract or anthropomorphic ish right into full-on you know creatures and you know um more 
truly more fantastical things where really kind of design was almost, you know, there's no function to, to some of it, not all of it. Some of it does, but some of it is just pure art. Um, was that, what was that like? Like, it, was that just sort of a natural progression or did you kind of, was there ever kind of a, was there an aha moment where you kind of said, what if we just kept pushing this to create things that look, you know, like, like out of a <laughs> really, a really strong, a really a trip for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was natural. Uh, the, the trip part. Yeah. We were both taking a lot of drugs, so that's not, uh, not far off. From, uh, when I say drugs, I mean, mostly like psychedelics. we started out as furniture designers um, because it was a, a good starting point for us. And it was a more practical, like, you know, the, the reason we started our business was to uh, work for ourselves and designing furniture was something that just came naturally to us. But I think in the end, we're both more uh, like sculptors and painters than we are furniture designers. So um, it kind of naturally, we would start using the function as like uh, a medium more than a, an end goal. Uh, or we'll use the function as a punchline that that became I think was more interesting to us as soon as we started to be able to afford to slash there was enough interest in our work for us to sell it I think we we were like yeah the function is not really what we're in this for well also I mean you know when we're when we're given boundaries we can thrive to a certain point but then you know at some point if people are telling us what type of work we should be making which you might be surprised happens more often than you would expect, that work fails. You know what I'm saying? When we just do whatever we feel like doing, it. It. I, I'm not trying to say this in like a we're so rock and roll kind of way, but if we're just fucking around and like just expressing and having a really good time, our work turns out great. And like the two of us working together uh, as designers, we have super, super different design aesthetics. I'm, I'm a whole lot more like, um, like I appreciate... Uh, a communist office building <laughs> and Nikki wants like a sunken living room sort of 70s vibe and so i i'm like a i i love mass produced furniture from like way back when uh and and i think Nikki's more about like a a spoke piece of furniture so if we have to come up with something that's specifically just functional it's going to waver around and what we do have in common is that our shared sort of fantasies our shared childhood experience and reference points um and it, it, i think we just wound up in a spot where since we're both creating together this is something that we something that we share and and when it comes to today like you guys do commission pieces as well as your own work is that that's still true yeah uh yeah and less less commissions than we used to because i mean again it's about freedom and and so you know but that being said, we've we've had some people commission stuff where it's it's pretty wild how much it can change your mind about your own practice and your just worldview in in in, in particular. So we've had some great, great, great commissions. Luckily, if it for sounds us, fun, then then we'll yeah. do it. I, I mean, if it's like a, uh, when people give too much instruction or like they want a specific color size whatever of something like that's where it starts to get uh annoying or or like we won't be inspired while we make while we're making it and that's not fun 
I think they've um, also like they won't get as good of a thing from us, right? I don't know. Yeah. Like when we just kind of riff and do our thing, maybe it doesn't like fit their niche exactly the way it was supposed to, but like they end up with a more, I think, heartfelt artwork, which ultimately means it's more valuable and better or whatever you want to say about it. But yeah. And during the pandemic, did you guys have to slow? Did you wind up slowing down? Did you speed up? Did you have, a, I mean, I'm sure you had a lot slow of work. Slow down a lot. Oh, we slowed down. Yeah. And we had a really big studio <laughs> beforehand. Uh, and then when it happened, we thought it would be temporary. So we like kept our a huge number of employees sort of like on, um, uh, I mean, I, I won't get into the whole thing, but we like tried to keep supporting people. And then, you know, at a certain point, it just kept going and going. Um, and the whole business like practically collapsed. So we, uh, it was really hard, um, to have, we had a ton of momentum and then like just in terms of straight business, everything was not going well. Uh, but it was nice for us to sort of have to reset and almost go back to the time of like our, the Geoponte bed, et cetera, like where we are um, moved into just experimenting and it just being me and Nikki uh, and sort of like refining our footing. And, um, you know, we've had, we've had moments before, like I went to rehab, for example, and there are, there are really hard times in life that um, wind up being kind of a, uh, a, a real blessing. Like if you can get through it, you wind up having a new perspective on stuff and having new ideas. And I think that we've come out of um, the pandemic business wise in a way that I'm like happier with our studio as it is right now than I was back then actually. Yeah, me too. And creatively I would say, cause I mean, we had to like really dig mm. deep and understand like what and why we were making work and um, you know, uh, the nice thing for us is like coming out of this, we have, you know, some of the biggest things that we've ever gotten to do. I mean, namely, we're doing like a big show at the Nasher uh, Sculpture Center um, in about a year, almost exactly. We're super excited about that. Uh, we're going to be presenting like six massive sculptures, you know, like between 12 and 12 and 22 feet, each of them, which is great. So for us, like, like we're doing that and then going on a on a museum crawl, which is we can't talk about the other museums yet, but we're excited about them. Um, you know, we're working on our first uh, um, survey book, which is really fun for us. Um, uh, we've got a, you know, uh, another solo show with Marianne Boski, which we're really excited about. So we've been um, we've been moving into, I think, like sort of just a place of understanding how lucky we are to be in the position that we're in and to really um, give, um, time and attention to our individual practice and, and, and just really honestly realize how special it is that we've ended up where we've ended up and that we have what we have and to really not take it for granted and know that potentially it might not always be there, you know, which to me is a healthy thing to know. I think at one it point is. you can get pretty, or we could, um, one can, and we did get pretty, I think, used to, uh, our position and what it was that we were doing and, and I think, well, I mean, I don't know, like. We got successful really fast. We did. It happened quickly. And like, I always appreciated it. And one thing I'll say is like, we never stop working as hard as we can. Like Simon and I don't know how to not work super hard and, or to stop. Like we really care about the things that we make. 
but I think I just assumed that that um that like we wouldn't have to be um we wouldn't have to be dynamic necessarily and that we would always have like a consistent reliable flow coming through and for instance like if someone offered us a museum show that it was going to happen 100% or if a client was like I want to buy that thing um that they would do it because at one point um it was like that nowadays i would say like we probably used to bat like 98% we would hit for 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 things that we would propose nowadays people it just takes a lot longer and people are a lot more nervous to pull the trigger and i don't think that's like specific to our studio practice i think that's like across the board because people are people are scared more scared than they used to be but at the same time like to me it makes me feel like the work that we're all doing is all that more important you know what i'm saying and we're not you know i think like a lot of practices got more busy than they ever have been interior designers construction stuff like that because people were focusing on their homes but but like we're not not us <laughs> uh, we're not like a service studio you know what i mean like we're we're like we're in our own reality I'm not saying we're rock and roll or rebel rebels. That's not, although like someone recently was like, Oh, like the bad boys of the design world, which was so funny to me, but I guess, I guess that's how some people look at us. But we, like, were, we were the enfant terrible, right? Of right. The, yeah, of totally. Miami or whatever. Oh gosh. Yeah. Someone said, <laughs> we were called that. Someone called us that. Yeah. We're, yeah, we should, yeah. We're the enfant terrible. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but now like, we're not enfant anymore. So yeah, <laughs> we're the old men terrible. So yeah. like, I think like, I think now, I, I think now for us, it's just like, yeah, to understand how lucky to be in the position that we're in. And, but also we need to stay true to who we are, which means like, we're always striving to just do what we want to do and not take direction from somebody else, you know? And I think it's like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's because we're cool or if it's because we're conceited or what it is exactly, but it's just the way that we work and the way that we want to want to work. And, and I, I've read that you guys have three, three museum shows or three solo shows coming up in mm -hmm. the next two years. Are you see, are you guys seeing this as like a, like a second act or like a, or however you think about it, like a new era or a new kind of phase in your career? Yeah, in a way. I mean, it's not, uh, we're not like making a concerted effort to have a second act, but I think it's kind of naturally just happening. I mean, we're both almost 40. Um, and I think with this set of work that we're making for the up upcoming shows, it is very different. A lot of it is glass. Like that's not a material we ever worked in. Um, uh, a lot of it is, um, larger. I think it's less like, uh, well, I would say it's, it's more, um, focused the way we're presenting stuff. We used to have rooms with just everything in it, which is really fun, but I think we're being, we're being more focused. We, our studio is smaller. We're making fewer things. There's a lot that changed, uh, but like to me, I think that the shows we have coming up are a little more poetic. I also think like, you know, for, for you know, like Nasher, for instance, people for a long, I mean, it feels like a long time. I know our career is short in, in the grand scheme of things, but, but like people really, I think we're one of those studios that can be a little uh, polarizing. Like you either really like our work or you really don't. And, um, uh, which is, I think it, that I'm proud of that. I think that's, that's, that's good for us, but. But a lot of people would say, 
the Haas brothers are absolutely not artists. They're, you know, like they, they design fine China, um, which is, which is, I'm proud of that too. I'm, I'm stoked that, that, uh, like our collection with Lob J, I'm phenomenally proud of. And you can hear chatter from the art world saying that we're too accessible, or you can hear chatter from the design world saying that we left it behind. But the truth is like, we're doing our own thing and people are sort of reading it the way they read it. But, but when you're asking about the second act and like what we're doing with the Nasher and our museum, all of our museum shows, it, it does just to be totally honest, it feels nice to sort of have this seal of approval where you're like, okay, well, like you can say we're not artists, but you know, we have, I mean, the Nasher is like one of the great, you know, sculpture museums in America. Like it's a huge deal for us. And I think we feel so honored. Like when we got offered it, we're like, what? Like, like, are you talking to me <laughs> a little bit, which is amazing. Plus it's in Dallas, which yeah. is nice. Cause we get yeah, to go back. Totally. To, we get to go back so, there all the time. So for us, there's a bit of like retribution and there's a lot of people in our careers that told us we would never be able to do what we wanted to do. And we've done all of it, which makes me feel really good. And, you know, both of us, I think we've worked really hard for that. Um, so like, uh, in that way, it, it, it's like, is it a second act? Yeah. We're like sort of coming from the ashes in a way, which I think a lot of people have right now. And we've done our best to sort of maintain this like joy and excitement about what it is that we get to do. Um, which is, tr I mean, I think we have some of the most exciting, fun jobs in the world. We're so lucky, lucky to get to do it. And so the more hurdles we can sort of put down to allow us to just like keep on trucking. It's like, please bring it on. And I think we're really getting into that zone where we can just, the deeper and deeper we get into solidifying our path. I mean, it just, it's, it's just super nice for, for the both of us and for our team too, right? We have this phenomenal team of people. We all really believe in what it is that we're doing. So when we win something like the Nasher, like, um, it feels like we've done something that counts, that matters, mm -hmm. you know. So, and when it, when it comes to, I mean, you mentioned leaving things behind and and having something that you'll be remembered for. What do you think in the future? You know, your son or your uh, your 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 son, you know, your your great 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 grandson uh, will open up a design uh, encyclopedia by Rizzoli in the year twenty seventy five, and they'll look back on on you on your work and and what do you think it means? How do you think it will boil down to an entry and say the history books? I just or do you want it that's to say? That's it. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how people are going to look at our career. I do think that we have earned a spot in that encyclopedia at this point in our career, but I don't know what that spot looks like. And also, you know, the world can change so much, right? But I think like, you know, Marianne said it really well, like our practice is very generous. Um, the people we work with, we give a lot inside of what, what we do. I think it's like we, we come from a viewpoint of humor we come from a viewpoint of joy and we want the things that we make to be fun and exciting because art is beautiful it's a beautiful thing to express i just want to have a good time when i'm making art so i hope whatever it is that people know us for in the future i hope that they at least understand sort of the generosity of our practice and the and the and just the humor of it right that and that also that like you know we came from a place of non-sophistication originally and that's okay right like that anybody can do it um you know i talk about like programs when we were kids in um 
in, in Texas, we, we visited the Manila in Houston and um, they have that Cy Twombly building. It's unbelievable. And I remember standing in front of this like huge painting by Cy Twombly and I don't know what I mean by like I got abstract art. I just like I felt something looking at Cy Twombly. I thought it was unbelievable and it made me feel something. And that's the whole point of artwork, right? And to have a program like the Manila and to have, um, you know, uh, you know, kids in a kind of cultural vacuum, at least in that sense, like Texas didn't really have a lot to offer in terms of like art viewing. That was really important. And I guess like our place in the encyclopedia would like people to understand that we were came from a place like that, right? And that the work that we make is, I understand the price point and all of that, but that really we're making it, we're not making it for anybody, we're making it for everyone. And we're making it for ourselves and we're making it to be inspirational and to help people move in a positive direction. You know, that's really the point of our work is to inspire people to do better and to give them space to make their own decision about like what that means exactly, but that 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 we we're trying to make work that, that from a very like stringent moral place and, and and i would say most of the time like we meet our own standards and 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 that's what i would love to sort of come through in, in, in an encyclopedia i don't know what that would mean <laughs> maybe it's a building we're going to build eventually like we can make it for free and donate it and it becomes like a community space or who knows what and simon you know we're talking about the meaning of, of work, right, which is sometimes is to designers, especially if you have a design connection, is really a hard thing for people to to articulate. Um, what does uh, your brother Nikolai mean to you? What does Nikki mean to me? Uh, Nikki is he. So I come from a background of having studied a lot and being kind of a tight ass and being a little bit too. Um, obsessive i think and nikki is the only thing that has ever gotten me to like move outside of that and he (laughs) really brings all of the energy into our work like when you look at our work i think the thing that we're known for more than anything is the like energetic part of it and that is that's nikki's uh so that's a that's a big deal um, I'm, uh, when you look at, if you look at the stuff I make on my own, it's really boring to look at the materials and stuff. It's not true. Uh, but uh, well, not saying. boring. It's yeah. just like little samples of things. And then like, uh, yeah, it's just not, doesn't look like our work. Um, so yeah, Nikki is, Nikki's like the freedom in the work. Nikki, what does Simon mean to you? Simon is the eloquence and the sensitivity and the heart and the brain behind what we do. You know what I'm saying? Like he's the, he's the, I guess like I, I, if Simon's saying that I'm the energy, I'm just, I guess it would be the fuel to, to power the thing that, that makes it possible, (laughs) you know? which would be Simon, I guess, in our practice, for <laughs> sure. We're really lucky to have each other. I think that's what yeah. it comes down to. It's like we wouldn't, we can't make the work we make without each other. It's impossible. And I think because it's it's about compromise, it's about, um, well, we can't even take a step or make something without understanding that you need to consider another person in the, in the picture of it. 
And I think one of the biggest things that you can do as an artist, and we've had moments of this, is that you can, or a designer, is that you can like lose yourself in it. You can self-focus too much. You can become too selfish in the way that you apply. And I think like, I think we just will always, you know, hold each other accountable for for acting morally inside of our own practice and doing doing better for ourselves and for the for the for the people that we make our work for. Yeah. Could you guys ever split up like a band and then and and go into your own <laughs> solo careers? Um no, I mean I think we both have interests and I you know like I draw on my own. Um but it's just not you know it's like I love what I do there, but it's not our work. Yeah. Yeah, Simon's drawings are amazing. I mean, they're really good. Honestly, his his stuff on his own is like the stuff I do on my own is just like skateboard art, basically. You know? <laughs> no, that's so, not true. I mean, you also true. like I just, mean, it's, but yeah, it's but stoner the, like shit. But you designed your house, and it's an AD, and I live that's in a true. condo that looks literally like yeah. a dorm. Like I don't <laughs> decorate my place. I designed I an awesome house. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you did, yeah, yeah. Uh, my, my, the way I live is so different than how Nikki lives. And, um, but yeah, I draw like, um, I draw, I have a show soon actually, but I, I draw like, uh, very dark, uh, gay sexual drawings. Like Tom of Finland? Yeah, but his stuff's positive. Mine is a little oh, more God. like depressing. Okay, I mean it's pretty, yeah, I mean, but it's a little darker. Okay, Donald Moffat, darker than Tom of Finland. That's a that's a good that's that's some depth. Well, everyone is smiling in Tom of Finland's work. <laughs> Thank you to Nikolai Simon, as well as Shannon McClelland and Johnny Smith for making this episode happen. The editor of the Grand Tourist is Stan Hall. To keep this going, don't forget to visit our new website and sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net and follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein and don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts Spotify or wherever you like to listen and leave us a rating or comment every little bit helps till next time